Hey guys, it's Jules. And this is Sydney. From Q&As to vulnerable discussions about mental health, we bring you the Therapist Unscripted podcast. We will share advice and have honest conversations about the messy but beautiful journey of healing and self-discovery. New episodes every Friday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. Jules and I are sitting down for another talk about misused psychology terms. We kind of touched on it last week in our episode about boundaries. Today, we're kind of going into depth into a few more that we thought would be important to just talk about. We hear so many labels being clinicians and just in our everyday world with social media. And so many labels are used to stigmatize people with mental illness. So today, we're talking about those labels and what they mean, how they're misused, and what we can say instead of saying someone's, for example, like psycho or schizo. So yeah, we'll get into a little bit of what those terms are. So for the first one, we're going to talk about gaslighting. So what it means, gaslighting is a form of emotional abuse and manipulation intended to leave you questioning your own reality. We hear gaslighting so much. (laughs) (laughs) So I have those clients and I I have multiple clients that just, they'll they'll use it just like in their language when they're talking with me about like this person who they feel like betrayed them in some way. So an example, and like Joel said, we hear it a lot when our clients like say, this person is gaslighting me, this person did gaslight me. An example is basically downplaying or dismissing someone's concerns or feelings or making them feel like your perception of events is always wrong. So we kind of touched on that we read a little bit about gaslighting in the book Burnout that we just reviewed in our last episode. If you haven't listened to that, you should go listen to that. But basically just we talked about how a form of gaslighting is how patriarchy is still very prevalent today. Mm -hmm. And gaslighting is basically society and, you know, everyone saying, oh, it's not a problem. It's only a problem because you're making it a problem. Even though patriarchy is still very much reality for women in today's society. So that would be a form of it. And yeah, we hear our clients say that along with many other things. And it's not that they're, you know, intentionally using it in the wrong way. And that's why we're doing this episode to kind of talk about just things that we hear and we see and it can just stigmatize people. And a big part of why we do this podcast, why Therapist Unscripted is a thing is destigmatizing mental health. Right. And gaslighting is typically done as a way to manipulate the person and to make them, like Sydney said, like kind of self-doubt or feel confused or not even believe them on their own experiences. And it's usually just a way to kind of gain power over that person in some way. Yeah. And when we hear gaslighting, I feel like a lot of people think about the romantic relationship. And we do want to be clear in talking about how like it can happen in any relationship. And it is a serious form of emotional abuse, but sometimes used really casually to describe minor conflicts or disputes between two people. So accusing someone of gaslighting can be a way to shut down opposing viewpoints or invalidate someone's perspective without engaging in like productive conversation and just communicating how you're feeling. And so the misuse of the term can hinder like open, open communication, compromise discussions, all, mm-hmm. all of the above. Yeah. Some other examples that 
And like, there's been times too when I've told my clients like, oh, that that actually does sound like gaslighting. <laughs> like, like they've yeah. explained the whole situation. I'm like, no, no, this actually is that. Like, and there's mm-hmm. been other times when they've mentioned stuff and I'm like, it sounds like maybe you guys are just misunderstanding each other, right? It's like mm-hmm. when someone's lying to your face after you've already proven, like you have proof that this is what actually happens. And then they're continuing to lie to you to make you feel dumb or to doubt yourself like that that is gaslighting <laughs> for example you catch your boyfriend cheating and you're like hey he's like you're crazy i don't know what you're talking about that is making you question your own reality of the situation and what's sad is oftentimes it works you start to question yourself you start to doubt yourself you start to doubt what's real and what's not what's true and what's not and that's why it's so important to talk about because emotional abuse is so prevalent Mm -hmm. right and just continuing on from that example like let's say you're you even see your boyfriend i don't know brush her hair and like (laughs) kiss her on the cheek or something and you're like and you confront them and you're like dude this just happens what are you saying and they're like you're you're imagining things and that is another example Mm -hmm. of gaslighting like Mm -hmm. no i'm not imagining things I literally yep. just watched you do that. And you're now making me again question my own reality of, of the experience. Yeah. I think the, the hardest part about gaslighting is that sometimes you don't even really know that you're being gaslit when it actually is happening. Like, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a manipulation tactic. Most of the time, it's done in such an ease that it seems natural like it's not mm-hmm. not wrong yeah um, and that's why it's so easy to believe that when the, when that happens and when you get out of like an emotionally abusive relationship or if you do realize someone is gaslighting you like sticking to what you know is true believing in yourself and you know being gaslit for however long and getting out of a relationship like that you might start to question yourself you might start to mm-hmm. not trust yourself but at the end of the day like you know what is true to you and you know that's why we talk about it takes, what, seven or eight times to leave an emotionally abusive relationship because manipulation is so real and it does just keep you in the cyclical cycle. But once you're out of it, being aware of the signs and being aware of what to avoid and what not to tolerate in relationships. Right. Should we move on to bipolar? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, and I've been guilty of this too, of, of saying like, oh, that's so bipolar or I'm so bipolar. And this is before I obviously became educated in the field and realized. No, that she's that it's like just... in her office, like uh, my bipolar. <laughs> no, yeah, and you know, it's just creating more stigma for those who do have bipolar. But essentially, what bipolar is, according to the DSM five, which is the handy dandy book that we use to diagnose these things, bipolar is having manic highs and really depressive lows. So the two kind of extremes in mood. And these are far more extreme than what people like have typical mood swings are. Yeah. Um, so you're having a sad day or feeling depressed that day. But having bipolar is usually more extreme. Mm-hmm. There's also bipolar 2, which is still having those intense waves of depression, but not as it's less manic. And we call that hypomania. So there are two different distinctions in there. Yeah. And when we think of mood swings, we think of a day 
that we're really low or maybe high or a few hours. Bipolar disorder it has to like last over a week. Mm-hmm. And so that's when you first can maybe start categorizing these really, really intense highs and really intense lows. Yeah. And this is also kind of reminding me of like schizophrenia, people saying schizo or psycho. Mm-hmm. It's essentially very similar to the misuse of bipolar. People who are actually diagnosed with schizophrenia experience delusions and hear voices and have disorganized thinking. And they also have some of the depressive symptoms that bipolar does. And it's just so much more extreme than what the average person thinks it is, mostly because they aren't educated or haven't had experience with someone who has bipolar or schizophrenia. Um, And yeah, talking about too, like these terms are not interchangeable for people who experience mood swings. And I think we hear psycho and sociopath a lot too, and not someone who lacks empathy. And just because someone doesn't seem to like, you know, maybe you're dating an asshole and you're like, he's such a sociopath or he's such a psycho having disagreements, or maybe someone is really mean to you, but like, it's, it's different than someone who lacks complete empathy. And Mm -hmm. so we can kind of segue into like narcissism too, because to be a narcissist is to believe that you are superior to others and have a greater sense of self-importance. And that sense of self-importance leads you to feeling like you deserve more than other people just a general sense of entitlement. And a big thing with narcissism too is an inability to empathize with other people. And when we talk about narcissism, we hear, again, we hear it a lot, but it only affects 0.5 to 5% of the general population. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, sometimes we see it, we experience someone who's an asshole or someone who thinks that they're just, they're awesome. And most of the time that's probably because they have low sense of self-esteem. And they are trying to compensate by having a big ego. With someone who has narcissism, it's different because sometimes people who display high levels of self-esteem or confidence are labeled as narcissistic when in fact the term is being used as an insult for people who are egotistical or arrogant Mm -hmm. and so on. So I think that's another time where we, you know, we hear it a lot where people are like, they think they're better than others. And I think That's just a a term that is used interchangeably versus using terms such as cocky, arrogant, demanding, patronizing, selfish, manipulative. Yeah, maybe don't use asshole, but there's tons of other ones in the book. Well, those are just, yeah, those are just other descriptions. And and it's not necessarily like, I mean, not that those are any better, but... (laughs) (laughs) Like maybe you don't want to call them names at all and that would just solve all of our problems. But thinking about other other words that don't attack a specific group of people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Don't stigmatize people. Yeah. Should we talk about being triggered? Yeah. I don't even know where to begin with being triggered. I think the word and the term triggered is often misused. And has become a part of social media, internet culture, and it describes a feeling of intense emotional distress. So basically, Mm -hmm. in our field, the term trigger refers to when someone suddenly faces something that reminds them of a traumatic event from their past. Mm -hmm. And that trigger, that feeling can cause your body to react as if the trauma was happening again. And so when we talk about triggers and we talk about like how it's commonly misused, 
It might be like we say, oh, that triggered us to something that's relatively minor or mundane. Something that doesn't mm-hmm. actually cause like an adverse reaction in our body. It doesn't cause us to experience these fight or flight emotions. So for example, someone might say they were triggered by a mildly upsetting comment or disagreement. People may use triggered as a catchy term for an emotional reaction, whether it's anger, sadness, frustration, mm-hmm. or anxiety. But those symptoms aren't the same as actually feeling that traumatic event then those feelings kind of show up again in your body. So instead of saying I was triggered by that, saying I feel upset because that happened or I feel sad or I feel anxious. Or even like that provoked anger in me, (laughs) right? Or like that activated my stress response. And it might, you know, it might be something that is tied to the past. Like you might feel upset because a friend is treating you in the same way that they treated you in the past. And you might say, oh, that triggered me instead of saying that really upset me because I feel like I've been through a similar situation before. And so an example when something is actually triggering is you are in a physically abusive relationship and you're in one again and he hits you for the first time. And that's a trigger that your body is experiencing that same reaction to a traumatic event that you had went through mm-hmm. however long ago. And so kind of noticing that your body is harboring these feelings and it's showing up and there's probably a connection there. OCD is one that, so Joel's and I had talked about what we were going to talk about, the terms that we hear all the time. (laughs) And it's so funny because OCD was not on either of our lists when we originally talked. And then we sat down today and we're like, Jules, you said that you were like, Hey, I added OCD. And I was like, I did too, because it is something we hear so much. Yeah. And honestly, it might be one of the ones that I hear the most often, which is funny that I didn't even we didn't even talk about it the first I know. time. Um, and and that's just probably goes to show how common it is in our language to be like, oh, that was OCD of me or, oh, they're so OCD, right? Just because someone does something in a particular way does not make them OCD. No. I grew up hearing it all the time. And then I started to take that on myself because mm-hmm. my dad is a very cleanly organized person. Is it obsessive compulsive disorder? No. Like I have been diagnosed with OCD and I had, it's interesting like when you actually start learning about OCD because it's so wildly different and it doesn't just mean being clean. There's a whole umbrella of things that is characterized by OCD. Mm -hmm. And so for example, I've worked with clients who have to like count on their fingers a certain amount of times before they do something or have to touch something with their left hand because they touched it with their right hand before they do anything else. Someone who has to excessively hand wash or clean themselves. And a big one that one of my clients started doing and young, young kid had to pour creamer in their coffee. So it did it once and then stopped, but had to do it two more times, even though they didn't want that amount of creamer in their coffee because they think something bad is going to happen to them. Right? This anxious thinking is like, you have to do this or else. Yeah. So, and it basically people with OCD experience intrusive unwanted thoughts that are pushed by lots of guilt and shame if they don't follow through with these thoughts and these compulsions, like she was saying, the creamer and the coffee is to get rid of those thoughts. And so, and this is like a a cycle that every time it happens, it kind of reinforces the, whatever it is, the unwanted thoughts and the compulsion. Yep. 
So I think we hear it a lot when it's talked about cleanliness. And I don't know where that, I don't know why that kind of turned into OCD means you're like super clean. Um, I think if you just like to clean your house or like it to be clean, it's one thing. But I think a big distinction with OCD is if it impacts your daily life or your daily functioning. If you can't do anything without counting on your fingers or touching something with both of your hands or listening to your anxious thoughts while it tells you to like pour too much creamer into your coffee and what sucks too is i've seen that manifest in fears being afraid of everything what we call phobias so ocd i think like yes you think about it as being cleanly but it's a whole there's a whole nother world (laughs) yeah i think it just again reiterates There are true and real diagnoses for people who experience all these different kinds of moods and thoughts. And it's really important that we aren't using these labels to describe other things because it's just creating more stigma. Like whatever it is you're trying to describe, just use the actual word. Um, You know, whether that's like overt cleanliness or... um, a preferred way of doing things. Yeah. <laughs> right. Being organized. Because like, mm-hmm. you're just making it harder for the people who actually experience those things in even a more intense way than what you're describing. And then that that keeps people from feeling able to talk about those things and be vocal about those things and also creates a lot of shame and guilt around having diagnosis and just experiences like that. Yeah. We kind of want to end today by talking about there are certain terms that instead of using misused terms or terms that don't actually fit, we've talked about interchangeable terms. Like instead of saying I'm triggered, saying I'm upset or mad or sad. And there's also different phrases or way of saying things that we kind of want to touch on. Yeah. I mean, so there's a difference in saying someone is bipolar and someone has bipolar or someone is diagnosed with bipolar mm-hmm. or someone has autism or someone has OCD. They're not OCD. Yeah. They're not autistic. The way in which you use those words can really label a person and confine them in that label. Like if you say they are something, you're forgetting about all the other things that they actually are. Yeah. Like they might also be funny and they might also be, you know, <laughs> yeah. we were, and we're so quick to categorize because that's just how the human brain processes information. And so I know it's really tricky, but it's really important that we don't define people by what their experiences are, or what their diagnoses may be. Yeah. Yeah. Just because someone has been diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder, for example, doesn't mean that that is their whole entire personality and so just saying it in a more factual way could just be really helpful and less stigmatizing. And we also mm-hmm. wanted to touch on suicide too, because I've heard a lot, you know, I think it's pretty common and has been pretty common to say someone committed suicide or they had a successful attempt or unsuccessful attempt. And instead of saying that, I think when you say committed, like saying someone committed suicide suggests blame. Or you say someone committed a crime, like, you know, it's used in a really negative way. 
And we should use language in mental health that avoids blame if someone's mental health issues are kind of what led them to die by suicide. So instead of saying committed suicide, we can say died by suicide, suicide death, suicide attempt. And I also want to touch on like saying I want to kill myself when frustrated is really insensitive to someone who Mm -hmm. is suicidal or who has lost someone to suicide. I know it's common to say I want to kill myself when something goes wrong or when we're really frustrated, but instead just try, like we talk about in therapy, naming your emotions, talking Mm -hmm. about your emotions, saying I'm really frustrated that happened, I'm really upset. And I think like Joel said too, it's really hard to kind of change your way of thinking if you've been used to just these phrases or you say these phrases often but I promise you it's not as much work to try and the more that you do and the more you start to implement and take out these misused phrases or words and the more you start to replace them with correct things you'll realize it's you'll get used to it you know I've done it I'm sure Jules has done it And it just, it will lead to just a more inclusive society and a less stigmatized society surrounding mental illness. And I think too, you'll find that the more you start to be aware of the kind of language you use, the more people around you will be willing to talk to you about things that maybe they wouldn't have because they heard you, Mm -hmm. you know, stigmatize something that they might've been going through at the time. Yeah. Or maybe you're talking to a friend and something goes, you know, you have a really bad day and you're like, I just want to kill myself. And maybe you don't realize that the person next to you has attempted suicide or has been thinking about suicide. Just like being being careful and cognizant of just society as a whole and the people that you're around mm-hmm. and, and just creating more inclusivity. So, all right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode on common misused psychology terms. You know, we had thought about this for weeks now and we condensed it to what a list of like seven, eight terms. And there's, I mean, so many hundreds, all of them. hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. <laughs> and it's not something that you need to change right away. We're not telling you to change it. It's up to you. If you're interested, I really recommend like reading into it more and just noticing your terminology. And our next episode, we will be releasing a week from today. We're going to be releasing every Friday and it will be kind of a little holiday segment mm. so we want to talk about like we've talked about boundaries and we've talked about gaslighting and narcissism and all of mm-hmm. those things and you know not saying that you're going to experience someone with narcissistic personality disorder at your thanksgiving or christmas but i think all of us experience boundaries and experience not so great environments when we're surrounded by large groups of people and family members with a lot of political views or Mm -hmm. just differing opinions and how you can kind of navigate that so that will be up next friday so tune in and thank you guys so much for listening